You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Lipid Lumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host, and joining me today is uh, Dr. Dean Bramlett. Dean is the medical director of the Heart and Lipid Institute of Florida in St. Petersburg, Florida. He's also an assistant consulting professor at Duke University and former president of the Southeast Lipid Association. Today, Dean and I will be discussing statin safety, statin toxicity, and whether we should be putting statins in the water. Dean, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Alan. So obviously, this is on patients' minds these days, Dean, especially after the FDA came out with some statements regarding whether or not uh, statins may cause diabetes or dementia. And I know you're an expert on safety issues with all lipid drugs, but particularly with statins. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, risk versus benefit regarding statin therapy? Yes, I think this is a a very important topic today, uh, given the amount of press that um, we've seen on statin um, adverse effects, as well as uh, benefits that have been well demonstrated. And, um, you know, given the fact in this country today that uh, coronary heart disease uh, and cardiovascular disease continues to remain the number one cause of death, and that uh, statins have such a dramatic impact at reducing not only cardiovascular events, but cardiovascular mortality and even all-cause mortality, uh, it's very compelling to want to utilize statins in just about everyone that we uh, think has any cardiovascular risk. But like any other drug, statins uh, will be associated with uh, some adverse events. And um, with regard to those adverse events, I think perhaps we can say that they're fairly minimal overall, uh, primarily focused on a modest increase in transaminase elevation, which would reflect some hepatotoxicity, and some incidents of myopathy, which could be broadly defined as patients that might experience a vague muscle symptoms, such as muscle aching, all the way to those that experience more significant problems, such as rhabdomyolysis, where they might have renal failure. Uh, those latter problems occur at a very rare frequency, and fortunately, most patients uh, have such a strong, favorable benefit to adverse event ratio uh, that um, the use of statins is very compelling given the benefits that we have in patients today. So, Dean, has anybody worked out the number needed to treat to save an event versus the number needed to treat to cause harm? Well, you know, each of the studies where you look at the absolute risk reduction, you can basically uh, divide that into 100 and uh, most of the statin get a number needed to treat. And as an example, uh, if we look at you know studies like um, the FOREST trial or heart protection or good secondary prevention trials in patients with established disease, the number you may need to treat uh, may be well less than one in 50. Um, and uh, in those particular circumstances, the, the number you may need to harm, depending upon the, the harm that you're doing, let's say it's perhaps diabetes, might, might begin to approach one in 500. So uh, in secondary prevention in particular, the, the numbers are staggeringly in favor of a benefit over harm. Where it gets to be a little bit of a sticky wicket is um, when you start to look at patients that have low cardiovascular risk. Um, now if you take a patient population that is a primary prevention population that at a baseline have an event rate of not even low but very low, perhaps less than 0.5% over a 10-year period of time, uh, the number needed to treat in that particular patient population might be somewhere in, you know, one in 200 or greater to prevent a cardiovascular event. And we've seen in some of the lipid-learned trials that uh, the number needed to cause 
a new onset of diabetes uh, begins to approach a number around 1 in 250 or 1 in 400. So it starts to get to be a bit of a toss-up just with that one particular adverse effect. And I think that's the reason uh, in general that we, have, we can make a statement that, uh, that it may be fine to put fluoride in the water to prevent uh, caries, dental caries, but uh, it would not be appropriate for us to put statins in the water because even though the benefit would accrue to people that have cardiovascular risk and under, underlying cardiovascular disease, it's quite clear that there are some people, given particularly the younger patients, that um, don't have any established cardiovascular disease and we would do more harm in that population than we would benefit. Um, so the, as far as putting statins in the water, one can say, no, you shouldn't put statins in the water, but when you take statins, you should put some water in your mouth. Okay. So let me ask you this, and I just want to dig down a little bit into some of the data that you just presented so we don't misunderstand. So when you talk about a 1 in 250 treated to cause one excess diabetic, would that be in the general primary prevention population, or is that only in people who are at risk for diabetes, such as older patients with metabolic syndrome? I mean, is that 1 in 250 a number that you could apply to thinner? Yeah, that number really comes uh, primarily out of data from the JUPITER trial. And remember that about uh, oh, 40 or 50% of those patients had metabolic syndrome. So that is a population of patients that were a little older and uh, tended to have uh, more risk factors uh, and an elevated C-reactive protein. Now, if we look at the general population, the number probably gets closer to maybe 1 in 450 or 1 in 500 in uh, looking at all of the statin trials we have uh, taken together. Um, in the very young patient population or the, the patients that have uh, uh, minimal cardiovascular risk, that number is probably much, much greater than that uh, to cause an adverse effect. And I think that's the issue. It, it always depends on the patient population you're treating as to the, the likelihood of having some harm accrue to them. But keep in mind that, you know, in, in, the, in the diagnosis of of diabetes in some of these trials, uh, for instance, uh, in the Jupiter trial, I mean, the average hemoglobin A1C at, uh, at uh, some, I think it was 24 months, was uh, 5.9 versus 5.8 with glucose levels that were essentially the same. They were 98. So the diagnosis was made on the clinician's observation that the patient had developed new onset diabetes. So uh, I think a lot's been made of this risk of uh, patients developing diabetes associated with statin therapy, but by and large, they, uh, they tend to be patients uh, that are already predisposed to diabetes, uh, perhaps uh, being overweight. And, um, and in some trials, patients uh, you know, that had higher baseline glucoses and higher levels of triglycerides. But not all statins have actually been implicated in this issue. It's interesting that you know, the, the more recent data seems to be that some of the newer, more potent statins uh, have demonstrated this, but um, we did not see a new onset of diabetes in the West of Scotland trial with pravastatin, and in fact, we saw the opposite. We saw a tendency to a protection from development of new diabetes. Uh, the same can be said with lovastatin, perhaps, and uh, even patavastatin. So not all of the statins have um, been demonstrated to show this effect, although I think the labeling for all statins, given the fact that a number of them have shown this, will probably reflect the fact that it, it, it may be a class effect. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm speaking with Dr. Dean Bramlett regarding statin safety and potential side effects. 
So, Dean, any thoughts on the potential mechanism for in those susceptible individuals who may be pre-diabetic, why they might have a rise in their glucose on a statin? Well, I think there probably is a lot of ongoing research in this particular area. Uh, some have been concerned that there may be alterations in the GLUT4 transporter um, in the cell uh, or alterations in insulin signaling in some other fashion. Um, and it simply has not been identified, you know, why this has been the case. Um, but multiple studies have shown that uh, there is this modest increase. But if you think about that, in reality, we've seen in, in studies uh, from heart protection to 4S and others that, um, you know, in patients that have diabetes, statins are in, indeed very cardioprotective. And in fact, in very well-established diabetic patients with very high cholesterols around 190 and 4S, Recall there was about a 54% reduction in cardiovascular risk. So a patient who's at risk for developing diabetes or a patient who has diabetes who might even potentially have a slight aggravation of uh, the glucose level with taking a statin is still going to accrue a tremendous benefit uh, with the addition of statin therapy. So by no means is this a reason to avoid uh, taking a statin simply because you might be at risk for diabetes or might have underlying mild glucose abnormalities. All right. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. A patient asked me the other day how old I was, and I told him I can't remember. It keeps changing every year. So uh, let's talk about the dementia issue. Uh, I know that that has also been a great concern to patients. Many of my patients have said I'm starting to forget things, and now I hear that the statins might be the cause should I go off of them. So can you tell us a little bit about the data regarding this, uh, if there is any? and uh, what your thoughts are on whether statins aggravate dementia. Yeah, this is sort of, certainly an area of interest. Um, and um, going way back, back in the early 90s, uh, in the early days of the statin wars, particularly when pravastatin and simvastatin were uh, trying to establish market shares, uh, there was a lot of uh, debate um, and various clinical trials that began to emerge um, in small studies looking at whether differences in a lipophilicity or hydrophilicity of a molecule might have an impact. As an example, there there may be more awakenings with simvastatin, a more um, lipophilic statin, as opposed to pravastatin, a more hydrophilic statin. But over the course of time, this really hasn't translated into any major meaningful differences. Now, there have also been reports over time that uh, some statins, uh, when uh, tested in elderly populations, um, where tests of mild cognitive function uh, might be able to demonstrate subtle effects that uh, statins may be shown at times to, to show some slight differences in cognition skills or sensory motor activity or alertness. Um, but when you go back and look at, at uh, representative studies where placebo-controlled double-blinded trials have emerged uh, over five years in 20,000 people, like in heart protection, you find that the incidence of uh, dementia uh, at the end of the trial is exactly the same of about 0.3% in both of those groups. And then when you go in and look at um, patient populations, I think they've done some of this study in Utah, um, they found that, um, that you know, at times uh, the incidence of reports of patients that have peripheral neuropathy might be slightly higher in terms of their statin use compared to those that do not. And then some studies have looked at uh, many mental status exams, uh, geriatric depression scales, and Alzheimer's disease cooperative study uh, ADL inventories 
Uh, they've done some of this work in Birmingham and um, actually have shown that when you start to look at the development of Alzheimer's disease, that in general, statin users actually have a lower risk, it seems, of developing Alzheimer's-type dementia than non-statins do. And some of this might have a theoretical basis in the fact that when you look at statin therapy, they uh, they tend to have a diminished output of beta amyloid, uh, which are you know can be toxic polypeptides to neuronal activity, and that's thought to be one of the prime causes of some of, some of the neuro neurodegenerative act, uh, uh, aspects that we see in Alzheimer's patients. So I think that, that the isolated reports that we see in the literature of some patients developing um, a relatively sudden onset, um, at least a brisk onset of uh, dementia that can occur anywhere in up to several months of therapy, um, that would be unexpected and, and out of the blue. You can always terminate your statin therapy for a short time if, it, if you think that this patient might be at risk for that atypical patient uh, that presents with that. And generally, within uh, weeks of therapy discontinuation, those symptoms resolve if it's related to that. But the, the causation has really yet to be established that it, it really does cause any type of dementia. And I think most importantly, you know, when we look at studies like the SPARKLE trial or the reduction in stroke we see in heart protection in patients with established cardiovascular disease, and we realize that stroke is a, a big cause of multi-infarct dementia, which is a major cause of uh, patients developing generalized symptoms of dementia, that overall there's likely to really be a protective effect in development of dementia by reduction of this underlying risk for developing stroke-related uh, problems, generally in people with established cardiovascular disease. So it's a, it's a pretty uh, rare occurrence that we can really blame a statin for developing uh, any dementia or dementia-like symptoms or perhaps uh, increased irritability, but when you think it's the case, you could certainly stop it temporarily. Um, you can even rechallenge a patient if you're not sure, or, or you might consider there are some reports of people switching maybe from a, a lipophilic to a hydrophilic statin. Some reports of benefit, but it, it's not established that that's really the cause. Yes, you know, and I've always been a skeptic on this topic. However, I will tell you, if I can quote my 27 years in the lipid clinic arena, I've had a couple patients who were scientists, you know, PhDs or mathematicians, who swore to me that, you know, when they were taking their statin that they had difficulty doing math and difficulty with complex uh, problem solving. And I was very skeptical, but um, once I stopped the statin for a period of time, a couple of those patients reported that they felt better. So this is kind of the thing that, you, that I think the FDA was hearing and and I suspect there may be susceptible patients who are an extreme rarity where there might be some issue with cognition, and it's hard to argue with them if if they feel strongly about it. But the good news was it did seem like when patients stopped their, their drug therapy after a few weeks, the uh, complaints went away. So it was nothing permanent. But I, I agree with you. I think it's very hard to show in a clinical trial. I've just had a few patients that I thought might for whatever reason, have been susceptible and may have had a real issue. I don't know if you've had similar patients. You know, I've, I've had a few people that have, that have come in that were concerned about this, uh, the reports in the media, but I've not actually seen anyone develop Alzheimer's-associated um, issues or dementia. I've seen, uh, on the other hand, a few people, who, uh, one in particular I can think of, who developed statin-related myopathy that seemed to, um, to be a permanent phenomenon for him, and uh, 
but again, it's it's unclear um, that that is the only cause. Yeah, these are tough ones, and you know, when in doubt, you just uh, listen to the patient. They're not going to continue it anyway if they're convinced. But I think when patients ask me, "Am I going to get dementia on a stat?" and I tell them exactly what you just stated, which is they're probably less likely in the long term. Well, and I don't dementia. know. Most people that I talk to say as they get older, the memory tends to be a little more challenged anyway. And if you're taking a medication and it's hot in the press about that, you certainly might tend to associate it with it, whether there's any relationship at all. Right, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Dean Bramlett, for his insight regarding statin toxicity, statin and its role in hyperglycemia, and potential for statin's effect on dementia. Dean, I think you really gave us a great synopsis of the literature, and I'm really pleased that you took the time to talk with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and you've been listening to Lipid Illumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. Thank you very much for listening.